Our Bible reading today is taken from Paul's epistle to the Colossians. We're reading again in chapter 1. And I would like us to read this morning the first 14 verses of the chapter. Every word's important. Remember, these are words that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. I think at times we read the scriptures and we forget that. Paul could say to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And what we have this morning is a God-breathed word. And every one of these words have been carefully selected, carefully placed by the Holy Ghost, and they're there full of meaning and instruction and learning. In fact, the Bible's like a spiritual treasure trove if we're giving spiritual eyes and spiritual understanding to see that. May the Lord help us this morning. Let's hear the word of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, Whereof ye have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you, as in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us, your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 14. And we know that the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible God-breathed word. Now this morning, as we continue with our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians, my text today is taken from Colossians chapter 1 verse 5. The latter part of the verse reads, the word of the truth of the gospel. And that's my theme today. I've entitled it, 
understanding the word of the truth of the gospel. Now the words at the end of verse 5 are a very striking expression. And it would have been very easy for me to skip over them and to move on even from last Lord's Day when we thought about the essential signposts of uh, genuine Christianity. But I thought again of the context. Remember the Apostle Paul is under house arrest at Rome. He's been cut off from his people, cut off from his uh, pastoral ministry. And nevertheless, providentially, he's carrying on a ministry there for two years under house arrest at home. Providentially, he's allowed visitors. And one such visitor was a man called Epaphras. Now, Epaphras, remember, is the minister of the gospel at the church in Colossae. We know that in verse 7. Paul says, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Epaphras was one of Paul's converts. I believe he was converted in Paul's ministry at Ephesus. He was a native of Colossae. And after his conversion, he went back to Colossae and preached the gospel. And under God, a New Testament church was founded there. Now here he is, traveled a thousand miles to where Paul is in Rome under house arrest. And he wants to tell Paul about the church in Colossae that it's under threat and that that threat is real. And here's Epaphras sharing with Paul all that's going on inside the church at Colossae. The church is facing a real present danger. The danger is that the church is being infiltrated by false teachers who are bringing in false beliefs. There's the danger of Greek philosophy, the idea and the mindset that Christ plus special wisdom imparts salvation or equals salvation. There was also the danger of the influence of Jewish ceremony. Yes, the Jews said you need Christ, but you also need a works-based religious system before you can claim the experience of salvation. There was also the danger of the influence of a pagan lifestyle, a pagan mindset, uh, uh, affecting the life and witness of many of the believers at Colossae. And Paul knew all this was false. He had heard firsthand from Epaphroditus how that the believers there were unsettled, confused, in danger of slipping back into a life of paganism once again due to the impact of these false teachers. Imagine then being told, not from the minister of the church, but from others, that the gospel is not enough. You need more than the gospel that Epaphras is preaching to you. That the, the, the gospel that Epaphras has been preaching to you, that you have heard and believed, has not been truly accurate. It's not been date and how discouraged Epaphras would have been. So Paul, to encourage them, to reassure them that the gospel he preached, the gospel that Epaphras, their minister, preached to them was the real, true, genuine gospel. And how did he do that? How did Paul prove that to them? Well, here's the answer. He directed them 
to, as we say in verse 5, the word of the truth of the gospel. In other words, he took them to the gospel. The believers at Colossae, remember, were impacted by false teaching and heretical ideas. There was a, a variety of beliefs. Some of that false teaching had to do with the creation of the universe in which people lived. The space age. The stars. Some of that teaching had to do with Christian fellowship in the area of ecumenicity. That the church must become part of a, an organized union with an earthly head. There was the teaching that had to do with Christ's deity. Who was he? Teaching that had to do with Christ's work. Teaching that had to do with angels. Teaching that was connected to pragmatism. There was people saying in Colossae, well, not everyone's interested in a life of meditation upon deep theological truth. In Paul's day, they were asking at Colossae, does this work? Not, is it true? But does it work? What's its practical value to me? <coughs> How would it benefit me? And the Apostle Paul's attempting to underscore that not only is Bible, but even Christianity a real life, but it's a real lifestyle based upon a belief in a, a, a body of truth. And that truth is centered in a, in a mighty, wonderful, doctrinal person named the Lord Jesus Christ. There was people there in Colossae talking about equality, talking about the impact of truth on practical living, talking about the last things. You see, it's all here. It's all in this epistle. And we could bunch it together. And I could call it the, the Colossian heresy. It's all been set forth. Questions are asked. Who's the creator and designer and sustainer of the universe? Who's the true head of the church? Who's the real Jesus Christ? Would the real Jesus Christ please stand up? Who is the source of true Christian lifestyle? Who, who gives a life of true joy and peace? Who is the rewarder of a, a promise of glory in the world to come? You see, in Paul's day, all this teaching in Colossae was coming forth from the mouth and the lips of these false teachers. And Paul wants to set forth under the words, the word of the truth of the gospel. Now remember, this is the first century. And the very same false teachers <coughs> and false teaching that were about in that day are also about today. Not the same men, but, but, but the same mindset in the 21st century. It's the same old heresy. There's nothing new. It's affecting the church of Jesus Christ. It's afflicting the people of God. And the best way that Paul had of dealing with false teachers and false teaching was to preach and present the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to exalt and extol Jesus Christ. Here's his answer, first and foremost, to this Colossian heresy. 
He wants people to see and hear Christ. The Apostle Paul is thrilled of what he has heard about the believers at Colossae. He is thrilled of the essential signposts of genuine Bible, believing Christianity, how their lives have been changed and transformed. He rejoices in the evidence that they have faith in Jesus Christ, a love to the saints, a hope from heaven. But that faith in Jesus Christ, that love to the saints, that hope for heaven, while he's truly thankful of that and has heard of that, he knows that the evidence of that life is but founded upon the word of the truth of the gospel. And that's what we want to think about this morning. Three things. The gospel must be recognized. Look at the words. The word of the truth of the gospel. Recognize the character of the gospel. Think again of the context. We'll ask ourselves in the midst of all this teaching, is there such a thing as gospel truth? You've got to underline the word truth. It's not just the word of the gospel, but it's the word of the truth of the gospel. Recognize that it's true. Absolutely. You see, in Colossae, it was like our day, an age of moral relativism. It was not only a hedonistic, uh, paganistic culture where people believed that men and women's happiness was the chief and ultimate good, but tied into that was this moral relative theory that there's no absolute or concrete truth. Truth has to be adaptable. Truth has to be changeable. Truth has to be movable. There are a variety of ways that people can know God. And into the midst of that spiritual climate, and into the midst of that uh, age of moral relativism, that hedonistic spirit, the Apostle Paul, he proclaims the word of the truth of the gospel. You see, true Bible-believing Christianity is not going to be shaken it's not going to be overthrown. It's not going to be altered. It's not going to be changed. It's not going to be moved. Yes, there's false teachers there. Yes, there's false teaching there. And individuals will be affected and some will depart from the faith. Uh, these are dark days, days of decline. Some individuals may end up denying the faith. Yes, these false teachers are like the celebrity preachers of our day, and they have to be exposed because they're really living a life of sin. But despite that, the truth of the gospel still stands. The truth of the gospel doesn't change. God's truth is unmovable. God's truth is unchangeable in any age. You see, the devil wants you to believe that it does. That's the way he operates. He wants to make true Bible, but even Christianity, a mere philosophy, a mere rational religion. He wants to strip it from a supernatural. He wants to say to us, let's get back to the pure historical Jesus. Does not sound familiar? Is not the rationalism of the 19th century, the German higher critics, Karl Barth and many others, 
They invaded the church. And it was nothing new. It's akin to the Greek philosophy in Paul's day. With its moral relativism. You can't know absolute concrete truth. But Paul says, Whereof ye have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Paul saying the gospel is the word of truth. <clears throat> Maybe this morning you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And you can say that you believe that the life of Jesus is living in you. But I want to tell you this morning that a mere profession of faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. It's not sufficient. Many professors profess that they've got life. They profess that that life is rooted in and connected to Christ. But they refuse to accept that that life is rooted in and connected to a body of truth that's centered in the person of, of Christ. You see, what is your attitude and mindset to Jesus Christ and the gospel? Do you recognize the word of the truth of the gospel this morning? You see, the, the, the word of the truth of the gospel has to be fresh. It's up to date. It's most relevant. To me, there's nothing more firm or solid or absolute or concrete, nothing more life-changing, transforming than the word of the truth of the gospel. So I'm asking you this morning to recognize the character of the gospel. It's the word of the truth of the gospel. It's what we believe about the gospel, about Jesus Christ. Do we believe it to be true? Do we believe it to be the absolute truth? You see, many are ignorant. They, they say they've got this profession of faith. They've believed in Christ. But, but they're ignorant of that body of truth about Jesus Christ and the gospel. Sadly, many are intellectually dishonest. And they live a life based on lies, lies that they tell themselves, lies that they tell others. And, and of course, in this age of moral relativism, the mindset is, well, there, there's no God. You can't really know him. There's no such thing as sin. Sin's whatever you want it to be. There's no such thing as your soul. There's no need for salvation. There's no need for heaven and hell. Many hold the truth in unrighteousness. And Paul is saying to them, saying to Epaphras, saying to the church in this letter, your faith in Christ Jesus and your love to the saints and your hope for heaven, well, that's built upon the foundation of truth as revealed in the gospel. The foundation of absolute truth, truth that can be tested, truth that can be verified. You see, the gospel came to Colossae as the word of truth, absolute truth. Let me say, young people, this morning, we don't believe in a bunch of fairy stories. We don't believe in a number of myths. We haven't followed a, a collection of fables. We have got this morning the word of the truth of the gospel. You're not going to get a variation of the gospel. The gospel can't be changed. The gospel can't be altered. There can be no additions to the gospel. Do you know that there's no blank pages after the New Testament closed? Why? Because you're not going to get another book of the Bible. I believe today there's no such thing as an apostle like Paul or John or Peter. Peter. 
I believe that there's no new direct revelation from God. I believe that there's no prophet going to come along and say, Thus and thus saith the Lord. You see, the Bible says, To the law and to the testimony, Isaiah 8 and 20, If they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. We're not to add to the word of God or to take away from the word of God. We're not to corrupt the word of God. And anybody that comes and says that he's got a special revelation from God that's not based and rooted in the Holy Scriptures, that's wrong. That's misleading. See, all God's revelation that he has given to us teaches us the true way of salvation. All the wisdom that we need to learn about the universe, our creator and, and maker and controller and sustainer. The wisdom that we need to learn about God and God's plan for the world around us. The wisdom that we need to learn about not only God, but the Lord Jesus himself, heaven and hell. Um, uh, the Bible's not going to teach you anything more of the Lord Jesus than what we already find in this book. And if a man comes to say that he's got a new teaching about Christ, then you can reject that. You can refute that. Because you have got a divine revelation. And anybody that comes and says that he claims to have a divine revelation other than what's revealed in the book, well, he's coming deceptively. He's coming as a deceiver. Because this truth is for all ages. It's not alterable. It's not negotiable. It's not changeable. This is a, a divine truth. This is not a human truth. That is something that you must recognize. Focus on the character of the gospel. Now, very quickly this morning, let's think about recognizing the contents of the gospel. See, what is the gospel? Let me just give you what I believe this morning the gospel starts with God. It's a message from God. I can say I have a message from God for you. See, the gospel starts with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God is the true and living God is revealed in the pages of the Bible. Not the gods of man's imagination. The God who has divinely revealed himself to man in the book of nature, in the book of Holy Scripture. The God who's made himself known. The God who says, be still and know that I am God. This personal, powerful, uh, holy God. A God with whom you have to do. A God in whose hand your very breath is. But, but the gospel not only is a message from God, but it's God's message about his remedy for human sinfulness. That brings us into the doctrine of sin. Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. At Romans 5 and verse 12, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 6 and 23, For the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before you can be saved, you must understand that you're lost. And before you can be delivered and saved from your sin, then you must understand what sin is. But it's also a message about the centrality of Jesus Christ and his personal work because God's divine remedy for human sinfulness is bound up in the personal work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
1 Timothy 1 and 5, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Acts 4 verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, the Savior, God's only begotten Son, was incarnated in the womb of the Virgin. You have to believe in the doctrine of the incarnation. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's a foundational propositional truth. The Savior was born for us. Born of the Virgin Mary. You've got to believe in the doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. You can't be a Christian if you don't believe in the doctrine of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. A Savior who lived a sinless life for us. You've got to believe in the sinless life of Christ. A saviour who died an atoning death for us, who cried it is finished, who, who shed his precious blood. A Christ who rose again bodily from the dead. A Christ who now lives in heaven as prophet, priest and king. A, a Christ who's coming for us on the clouds of power and glory. You see, many today, and I, I underline this, many say and they claim to believe in Jesus. But they don't believe in this doctrinal, this body of truth about the Lord Jesus. But the gospel, you see, I said last week, many have just a caricature of the gospel. That's what the late Dr. Alan Kearns talked about. And they think, well, the gospel is just asking Jesus in their heart. No, the gospel's a message from God about his remedy for human sinfulness. And it centralized that remedy in the person and work of Christ. And that message therefore summons us to repent and believe the gospel. There is such a thing as being sorry enough to quit your sin. God's salvation is not in your sin but from your sin. I wonder this morning have you heard the call, repent ye and believe the gospel. Have you exercised faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ? Have you embraced him as being offered in the gospel? And you see that life of repentance and belief, that, that leads to a, a life of holiness. Where you strive with the mindset to be as holy as, as it's possible for a saved sinner to be. You hate sin and you love righteousness. And you bring forth evidence of a new life in Christ in your love to God. A life of uh, loving service, a life of loving obedience, a life where you strive to be holy. And you recognize that the gospel is also a message about deliverance from wrath to come. You acknowledge that God is just and holy and true. And God has a right to punish sin and evildoers. And, 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 and that God has dug hell for the devil and all the followers and, of, of the devil and, and every uh, iniquitous person. It's also a call to the blissfulness of heaven and home. The psalmist could say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's very quickly now the contents of the gospel, and, and that's deserving of a whole series of messages in itself. Don't have a caricature of the gospel. If you're going to say you've, you've considered, accepted the absolute truth of the gospel, then, then, then here's the contents of that gospel message. It starts with God and brings us to heaven. It encompasses the whole of the divine revelation of the Holy Scriptures. That's just the first point. The second point, I'll try to be quick. Not only 
The word of the truth of the gospel must be recognized, but the word of the truth of the gospel must be received. If you look at our text, it says in verse 5, whereof ye have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Think of the words which whereof ye heard before. That means that the gospel had to be shared with them. The word heard means that they had to hear. It's one thing to recognize the word of the truth of the gospel, but it's quite a different thing to hear it to the point where you receive it. Glory to God, there's a truth to be communicated. There's a truth that is shared, and it was shared so they could hear it. It's part of their past experience. Remember what we read in the book of Romans? In Romans chapter 10 and in the verse 14, wasn't the Apostle Paul said this in Romans 10 and verse 14? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except to be sent? That is as written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Elias said, Lord, who have believed our report? And that word report means doctrine. And verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Paul's taking them back to that day when Epaphras came and say, never forget the day you heard the gospel. And through the gospel being preached, God opened your ears. God opened the eyes of your understanding. God moved your heart, warmed your heart, where you felt the impulsion, the desire to embrace Christ as he's freely offered to you in that message. Here they are living in a world full of lies. A world that's got loads of false teachers with false teaching. A, a world of paganism. You see, in Colossae, there was those who said all men must be equal. And if all men are equal, uh, then uh, regardless of class or creed, all men will be happy. And all men will be content. But, 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 but it's a nonsense. Because equality doesn't deal with racism. Equality doesn't deal with hate. Equality doesn't deal with sin. The only answer to racism and hatred in the world and sin is the gospel. Once you recognize this is the message from God, his remedy for human sinfulness that centers in the person and work of Christ, and Christ summons you to repent and believe, and calls you into a life of holiness, which is uh, the fruit, not the ground, the, the evidence of being born of the Spirit, and you're uh, delivered from wrath and judgment to come, and you've got the assurance of a home in heaven. Uh, once you, you recognize that message, that message must be received. There has to be a reception of the gospel. And I want to ask you, has there been a reception of the gospel in your heart? Was there a day when you heard the gospel, when someone shared the gospel with you, whether it was uh, uh, your mommy or your daddy? or whether it was another family member, or whether it was a faithful minister of the gospel, or a friend at school. Before you can believe the gospel, it had to be shared with you, and you had to hear it to the point of understanding. 
See, Jesus Christ comes first to the eyes of your understanding. He opens your mind. He, he lets you see this truth. And as it's shared with you, then your heart is warmed to that message. And you, you seize hold upon it. He was thinking of Epaphras. He was thinking of the word gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Epaphras heard the gospel from the lips of Paul. Epaphras was converted to Christ. Epaphras came back to Colossae. Epaphras started to preach the gospel. We would never have heard of Colossae if this man not had preached the truth of the gospel there. And people could say to other individuals, what happened to you? I heard the gospel. I heard from a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. A faithful minister of Christ preached the gospel. Can we not thank God for, for Epaphras as a faithful minister of the gospel? You, you see, should we not also thank God for the faithfulness of Epaphras striving to, to share the gospel, to get the gospel out, knowing that the gospel was the only answer to the paganism in his day? See, here's Paul, and he's thanking God that these people heard the gospel. And they heard it faithfully from the lips of Epaphras. Can we not, too, be thankful for the word of the truth of the gospel? Paul prayed for the advancement of the gospel. And you should pray for the advancement of the gospel in our day. We thank God for our internet community. We thank God for our in-house community. We rejoice in, in the fact that more can be done. And we should desire, we should never be satisfied because there's many that do not understand. Many do not see the gospel. Many do not know the gospel because no one has ever shared the gospel to them. The gospel is the only answer to man's need. The gospel of Jesus Christ received by faith can change and transform people's lives. Is it any wonder Spurgeon said, let the gospel loose like a lion? Is it any wonder that the apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians, remember he says in chapter 1 and verse 7, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Why? Because it would affect the destiny of man's souls. That's why Spurgeon could say he preached the gospel of the sovereign grace of God freely, rooted and revealed in the person and work of Christ. Jesus Christ must always be and forever be central to the gospel. And you see, we live in a day when Christ is not central. Men are not emphasizing the incarnation, his virgin birth, his sinless life, his atoning death, his bodily resurrection, his ascension to God's right hand. Now let me ask the question this morning. What about you? Someone has shared the gospel with you. The gospel has been sent and brought across your path. You've heard it proclaimed. But have you believed this message? Have you received it? Uh, Paul rejoiced that Christ was preached and him crucified. Has it come to you? The word of the truth must be received. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. This message was shared. This message was sent. This message was seized hold upon by them. 
Notice one final thing in closing this morning. The word of truth must be regarded. You see, as I think of the words, the word of the truth of the gospel, then I'm thinking, here's the chief and ultimate authority to test all things. See, Paul knew who the false teachers were. He knew what they were saying and proclaiming. And how best do you combat a false teacher? He doesn't particularly mention them by name, although he could have. He doesn't begin to expose their heretical teaching, first of all. He knows this Colossian heresy is a real present danger. How could he combat that? Here's how he does it. He sets forth the argument the word of the truth of the gospel, what ye have heard from Epaphras, what ye heard in the day that you were saved, and prior to and after the day you saved, was the absolute authority, because what you heard was the word of the truth of the gospel. You see, it's a question of authority. And that's why the word of truth must be regarded. What is the church's ultimate great authority? And the authority is the word of the truth of the gospel. What's our authority regarding sin? Is it human reasoning? Is it man-made philosophy? Is it the opinions of men? Is it the fashion of the day? Is it what celebrity preachers say? Or Hollywood stars say? Is it to do with one's circumstance and situation in life? No, it's what the word of God says. It's what the Lord has revealed in the book. It's tied into the Ten Commandments. What is forbidden by God and what is required by God. If we don't understand them rightly. Think of regarding the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, the fourth commandment says. The Sabbath day belongs to the Lord. That's why we want to get the gather again and get quickly back into the house of God. That's why we want to come. Because it's God's day. All of God's day, the Sabbath morning and Sabbath evening, it all belongs to him. Question of authority regarding the saints. We, we read here last week about or meditated upon the words, love to all saints. And I was thinking about that. If we have a love to all saints, we will not be guilty of envy. We'll not be envious of what other people have or don't have or their station in life. We'll not be full of self that we've got our own ego and it's all that matters to us. And we'll not be full of um, the mindset that well, somebody's more gifted and, and, and better than, than, than uh, I am. Um, and um, it will impact upon our joy and our, our, our fellowship with, with other people. But also a question of authority regarding the Savior. You see, we live in an age where there's many false teachings. As in Colossae's day, in our day. A man on the internet, I'm trying to remember his name. It starts with Joe. I can't remember his surname offhand. But he has come across, written the list of 23 false teachers uh, preaching uh, the gospel and mentioning God in our day and generation. 
men like um, Benny Hinn, uh, Rodney Hard Brown, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, and, and a number of others. And you see, I have come to the conclusion that there's many false gospels abroad. Let me just share as I close. You see, we live in an age of the social gospel. Have you heard of a guy called Rick Warren, the purpose-driven church, the purpose-driven life? Uh, and the main aim is church attendees coming to the house of God on the Lord's day. He uses worldly methods to increase his attendance. He, he surveys people. He asks them what they want to hear and what they want to do. There, there's no sound doctrine there. There's no real biblical teaching about sin. There's no real call to repentance. The whole mindset is to keep people in the church. So these things are glossed over. And what is talked about is self-improvement and self-enhancement. Using the name of God and using the name of Christ. Talking about fighting poverty and injustice. Obsessed with uniting Hindus and, and Muslims into a kind of religious pluralism. That's what the social gospel is. It bypasses sin and salvation and a personal saviour. And then, of course, there's the reconstructionist gospel. These are men and women that want to put the world right, make it a better place. How? By, by using the politic of the day. And it all ties into this whole uh, concept of relativism. I, I, I want to tell you, there's also the prosperity gospel to do with health and wealth. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be a millionaire. God wants you to be famous. I want to tell you, God doesn't want you to be famous. God doesn't want you to have loads of money. God doesn't merely want you to be successful. What God wants is you to have as a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the core of the issue. It's not merely health and wealth that's the focus. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we think of those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, some in China who can't leave their homes because of the communist state to go into a house of God to worship God. We think of other lands like, like Pakistan and Saudi Arabia where they, they couldn't get into their car and walk out from a car park into a church building with their Bible and, and their hat on their head. Uh, why? Uh, because they would probably be imprisoned or, or worst of all, uh, put to death. Then we've got the seeker-sensitive gospel, where, where, where people just want to live and act like the world and, and view life as one big party. Again, sin and salvation and, and the Savior are all treated lightly. There's what I call the sinless gospel. Those that teach you can be brought into a state of sinless perfection. And then you've got the cheap grace gospel where, where there's no real heart for holiness and there's no hatred for sin and, and Jesus Christ is not Lord of all and the whole thing is cheapened. You see, these are, are toxic gospels that are impacting and affecting upon the church. And the question is one of authority. And the question ought to be what saith the scriptures in relation to sin and the Sabbath and saints and the Savior? And, and these gospels have to be analyzed by uh, the word of God. Uh, and then we need faithful men of God to stand up and, and, and to say, um, 
that this is wrong, that this is false. This is not based in the word of the truth of the gospel. That's what I mean. The word of truth must be regarded. It's the ultimate question of authority. And our authority for saying all that we do is the word of the truth of the gospel. Remember what Paul says as I finish. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than two edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is alive. The word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. The word of God can pierce. The word of God can divide asunder even the joints and marrow. Discerner of the soul and spirit. Discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Oh, let's be judged by the word of God. Let the word of God be our ultimate authority. Let us be judged by the book. And bow the knee to the teaching as it's revealed in the Holy Scriptures. As it centers in the person and work of Christ. I, I commend this message to you. I thank you for listening. I must confess I felt I have struggled with it. I've tried my best to, to open up. Uh, nobody else seemed to have dealt with this. But, but I pray that what I have shared uh, might be helpful to you as we work our way through Paul's epistle to the Colossians. And you'll see how fresh and up to date and how relevant the word of God is. But I, I say to you in closing, I make an appeal. I want you to recognize the character and content of the gospel. And I want to ask yourself, have I received the word of truth since I heard it? And, and, and how do I regard that word of truth? Is it my ultimate authority for what I believe and how I behave and what I proclaim and what I practice? May the Lord help us in understanding these things.